Welcome to The Caption Life, and in this episode, we are going to be reviewing the latest film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and we have guest host Richard Nebbins of The Direct joining us. He and I also talk about how neither one of us know what diegetic means, how we're really excited about the Deadpool 3 movie that's going to be coming out. It's probably one of our most anticipated MCU films. And we also talk about how Groot's fighting style should be called Groot Jitsu. Hi, and welcome to The Caption Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I am your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels has to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals to roundtable discussions with passionate fans and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can find me on social media under the username at CapsonLife. You can also find more episodes and information at thecapsonlife.com. Welcome back to the show, and we are reviewing Marvel Studios' latest film from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. This has been a highly anticipated movie with all the hype and ominous messaging around the film, and it being James Gunn's last film for Marvel Studios for the foreseeable future, since he is now the co-chair of DC Studios. Joining me today to discuss this movie is editor and critic Richard Nebbins. Richard is the senior writer and assistant editor for the direct.com where he has worked since early 2020. He specializes in the MCU and all things Marvel, but he also has a beat on star Wars, the DC universe and the movie world as a whole. On top of his passion for sports and music, Richard is an evolving fan of movies and TV shows, taking in new content regularly while sharing news on the best and latest from Hollywood and the entire industry. And this is also his second appearance on the caption live show. He was a guest earlier uh, last year, Year when we talked about Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Richard, welcome back on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Sean. I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's always great to see you again. And uh, man, I am looking forward to talking about this movie. <laughs> I know. And, and I really enjoyed talking about Dr. Strange's Multiverse of Madness with you last year. So I'm sure that this episode is going to be the same. And uh, I just want to point out, we talked about this a little bit, but the last time you were on the show, I think your beard wasn't as thick as how it is now. <laughs> and I absolutely love it. Like, I, I really do. It's, it's a really nice full beard. Not a lot of people can pull that off. And I really love your beard. I, I'm really jealous of it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Just I think it's just come from probably not shaving it off at all since I think think when i went to go see ant-man if i'm not mistaken so that's no kidding this is a good solid i i I can't remember if i've trimmed it or not but this i think is a solid like three months worth (laughs) oh my gosh that's awesome i love it well (laughs) and and, um yeah it's just i mean again not not everybody for people who don't know like i actually i've been shaking my head since i was 19 i feel like when it comes to uh you know facial and you know head hair stuff like that not everybody can pull off like a good beard not everybody can pull off having a shaved head and stuff like that and and you are definitely pulling off very well and i think you could just you know not shave for another three months it'll still look really good (laughs) (laughs) well thank you thank you yeah i don't know if i can pull off the shaved head i'll have to see about that when it when it comes more naturally but i know i know know you pull it off and uh, i've seen your I've seen your Kingpin uh, cosplay, so you, yes. you, you make it work. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I had to start shaving it when I was uh, 19 out of necessity because I started losing my hair when I was about 14, 15 is when my hairline started receding. And so when I got to college, mm-hmm. a lot of people uh, mistaken me for um, either a professor or a non-traditional <laughs> student because they just thought I was in my 30s. Yeah. So I was <laughs> like, I got to stop doing this. I, I got to do something. And, and at the time, like, 
I saw a couple of people had shaved their heads. It wasn't like a trend like how it is now. Like there's a lot of guys out there with shaved heads. I feel like I started shaving my heads before it became a thing. Um, but I knew there's a couple of guys I know that shaved their heads. I was like, oh, let me go ahead and do that. And I shaved my head. And I feel like I was like more my age. So for me at the time it was more of necessity. Now it's like, you know, I, I, I can't just grow back out because one, I definitely lost all of it on top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, my wife and my son has never seen me with hair. So I feel like if I try to go it out, it'll be really <laughs> weird for them. So yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, yeah. So how's everything going for you, man? Last time I talked to you, um, I know you were writing for the direct, but I think since then, correct me if I'm wrong, um, you have been promoted to senior editor. And I don't, I don't think you were at editor status last year. Is that right? Or so, am I sort of? Yeah, yeah. So I was an editor, <laughs> but now I'm the senior writer at the site. Which is that's right. Okay. Which was a very, (laughs) very cool promotion that I got. Um, you know, I I love those guys and, you know, I've been, I've been working with them for over three years now and it's been, it's been a literal godsend. It's been the best job I've ever had in my life. And, um, so yeah, I'm the uh, senior writer at the site. I'm an assistant editor and I also post, uh, social media stuff for us too. And I'm an occasional guest, uh, every once in a while on the direct podcast, which I think if I'm not mistaken, just reached 250,000 downloads for those guys. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Absolutely insane. They've been doing that since like October of 2020 and it's been an incredible journey seeing them rise with the podcast. Um, it's David Thompson and Matt Remke doing their thing over there. And I'm on there every once in a while. And um, yeah, yeah, it's an absolute blast. I mean, the direct is a, a great place to be. Yeah. yeah and I, I think I follow Matt Remke on, on uh, Twitter and, and I He's really enjoy his stuff. Yeah. Well, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I know you guys have a really good following on social media too. I think one of your accounts have over a million followers. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, our our MCU direct page has like 1.3 million followers. So it's oh wow, crazy. yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, and, and for those who don't know, do you want to kind of give a, a plug in on what the direct uh, <laughs> is all about and what it is exactly? Yeah, absolutely. So um, so how we started off, actually, how how the guys who ran it started off, they were just I think a fan page for a little a long time a few years ago while the guys who were running it were in college, and since mm-hmm. then we've grown into like an actual news and writing site. Um, we hired on a bunch of writers in March of 2020, uh, you know, ironically, right before everything shut down with COVID and everything. Right. And um, we started off with just Marvel and Star Wars as our kind of main bread and butter. And we've been steadily mm-hmm. growing since then. We've gone to DC and video games since then. And now mm-hmm. we're actually covering a lot more of like general movies and stuff. Like I've written a bunch on uh, Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny recently uh, <laughs> covering a lot of little mermaid stuff. I just wrote a big mm-hmm. feature on uh, all the characters for mission impossible seven, which was a lot of fun. And um, we've just been slowly building our brand and um, you know, getting different premieres and interview opportunities and stuff. And it's been, it's been a really fun uh, ride with those guys and, you know, building from the ground up and, you know, kind of, getting up there with the big names in, uh, in this industry. So it's been really cool. That's awesome. And, and I have to share that the direct is one of my favorite sites out there um, for a number of reasons. One, uh, the, the stuff that you guys write about is just phenomenal and is really well done. And I really appreciate it. But the thing that I appreciate the direct.com the most is how cognizant you all are about when you, um, 
post things on social media with the articles that you write that you make it clear that is this like a rumor or is this, you know, breaking news or something like that? Because I'm not going to say names or anything, but there are sites out there that are oh, very yeah. clickbaity. But I feel like the direct, you know, you you guys make it clear like, hey, you know, before you read this, know like kind of the context of we're just reporting something that's a rumor or we're reporting something that just came in or or something like that. And I not a lot of sites do that. And I really appreciate that. And that's one of the reasons why I became a big fan of the direct is because I feel like that is something that a lot of fans really need to have and really appreciate because I get really I'll be honest, pissed off when I <laughs> click on something. I'm just like, this is a clickbait. I just like, I remember one time I was reading something. And I think I almost like threw my phone across the room because I was, I was like so upset with something, but you guys never do that. And you always make it clear with the article, like what this is. And I never feel like any of this stuff is clickbait because of that. So I, I can't say enough great things about uh, the direct and your work is always great as well too, which is one of the reasons why I wanted you to come back on the show because I really enjoy all your stuff that you put out there. Thank you so much. No, and, and that's one of our biggest things is we really try hard to not be one of those clickbaity sites. And we always want to make sure that we're giving, you know, the most accurate and up-to-date info to everybody who reads our stuff on the site. And um, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things I like so much about working there is that we we do try to be honest and to the point. And, you know, if something's a rumor, we're going to say that it's a rumor and we're not going to, you know, we're, we're not going to BS you, um, if right. I, if I may say so. And, um, that's what I really like about the site. And it's a great group of people there that we mm. all, and we all try to, we, ha- we all have the same goal in mind and we all love what we do. And it's a great team. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely could tell that from all the interactions and everything that you guys have with each other. And and it's like I say, if you haven't checked out the direct.com, uh, I'll make sure to put it out in the show notes as well, too. So that way you can just click on it directly there. But uh, but yeah, it, it's it's a lot of the fandoms that you guys cover are probably a lot of fandoms that the listeners will uh, really enjoy as well too. And so it's definitely a, a great site to check out. So I definitely encourage you to do that. Um, now, do you live in LA or for some reason I thought you lived in on the East coast. So I've kind of been all over. I went to college <laughs> in Boston, uh, uh-huh. grew up in SoCal and currently I'm in Oregon um, with my wife. So, Oh, no kidding. Uh, yeah. So I've, I've kind of been all over the place, but I've stuck with my uh, Southern California teams and everything. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. For some reason, I thought you were on the East Coast, but yeah, no, that's good. Well, in that case, I know it's, you know, three hours early for you when we're recording. So I appreciate you giving up your evening to hang out with me to talk about okay. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. <laughs> and, and can I just say, I don't think there's anything I want to talk about more than this movie right now. I'm so glad that we, that you and me got on for this podcast because I've been dying to talk about it with somebody like, you know, outside (laughs) of my wife and my direct team. What a movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. I agree. And and that's, that is, it seems like that's been the, all the buzz over the weekend. I know there's a lot of stuff that happened over the weekend, like, you know, free comic book day. Uh, for me, I went to Indiana comic con. So like this whole weekend was like really busy for me for a number of reasons for that. Um, but guardians of the galaxy coming out this weekend, which, which again, Marvel always seems to have a movie that comes out the first weekend of May, which happens to coincide with free comic book day. So I don't know if there's something there with that or not, but <laughs> I've seen nothing but Guardians of the Galaxy reviews and and comments, stuff like that, and nothing but good things. Um, So before we jump in, just kind of want to let people know that 
With all of our episodes where we do a movie or TV show review, we also talk about spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, um, definitely you know feel free to pause this episode, uh, bookmark it if you want, but make sure you watch it before you listen to this. Or if you don't mind spoilers, just know going into this that we will be talking about major events that happens in the movie, and there will be spoilers in this episode. So um, jumping right into it, I want to share what some of the listeners of the show have shared about their thoughts of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 before uh, Richard and I start going into our thoughts. And so, starting from Comic Watch, we have one of our reviewers, Anthony Bergamini, said, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 has the same excellent inclusion of thematically relevant diegetic, uh, diegetic and non-diegetic music as the first two. Gun killed it with this trilogy, and I effing love this movie. He didn't say effing. I put that in there, but this is a PG-13 show, so I had to adjust it a little bit. Um, I got to say, he, so he said diegetic. I, I don't, I'll be honest. I don't think I've heard that name before. Uh, I'm sorry. I heard that. Yeah, I heard that term before. Um, but Anthony actually has a background in film studies, if I remember correctly. So he like he knows his stuff when it comes to movies and everything. So I'm sure this is probably um, I mean, he's referring more to music and all that. But, um, yeah, I'm going to have to look up that word and figure out what that <laughs> means. And then probably agree with him because I'm sure <laughs> we all <laughs> probably agree with a lot of stuff here um, from our discord server. The Illuminicasters Joe loves comics said, I loved it, but I have a lot of scattered thoughts on it. I need to bring together for when I record my own podcast episode on it later. <laughs> and then on Twitter at uh, Rogazga said guardians of the galaxy three was surprisingly emotional. We've seen these characters since the first one and throughout the other MCU films. This one gets you in the feels for sure. I was surprised at the gut punch. And then last Last but not least, um, a friend of the show, ODPH podcast, Ken, said it was a perfect send off for Gunn and the universe he introduced to pop culture. So all these comments, I absolutely agree with 100 uh, percent. Let's start with our overall thoughts of the movie. Richard, what did you think about Guardians of the Galaxy? I know what you think, but share with, uh, <laughs> with the listeners what you think about this movie. I, I mean, this is one of my three favorite MCU movies ever. Like mm-hmm. uh, legit. I mean, I, I knew this was going to be good because James Gunn has done a fantastic job with everything he's done in the MCU. The two guardians movies, the guardians of the galaxy holiday special, which was awesome on Disney plus. If you haven't seen it, go check that out. Um, mm-hmm. But this is to me, not only his best movie, I mean, of the ones that I've seen, I've seen all the ones from the MCU and obviously the suicide squad and peacemaker from DC. Um, this was absolutely an incredible movie. Literally, mm-hmm. my list for like top MC movies goes No Way Home, Infinity War, and then this. Um, no kidding. It, it, it absolute <laughs> 10 out of 10 for me. I really don't know how it could have been better. And, and it's so funny because I was trying to think in my head after I saw it the other day, like, what did he do wrong in this movie? Why am I trying so hard not to put it near the top of my list. And I, I couldn't find any reason not to do it. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it's funny that you say that because I know a lot of people have the same feelings. Um, you know, obviously Ken from the ODPH podcast said the same thing. Um, and I know I talked to some of my other, you know, close friends and people in some of the comics and podcasting circles I'm in have all said, you know, the same thing. Um I went and saw the movie with my son and my wife. And of course, my son loved it. He wanted to watch it again. And so we're probably going to watch it again soon uh, <laughs> once we get some free time. My wife really enjoyed it. But she also um, she also says that it's not her favorite one, mostly because she 
she wanted to see Gamora and Peter back together. She very much <laughs> is in it for the romance, right? Like she loves yeah. the romance. She loves the relationships and stuff like that. So she was bummed out that, you know, that didn't really happen, even though it kind of set up for a possibility in the future. Um, you know, she wasn't thrilled with that. Um, me personally, I'm, I'm on board the same way as you. It's, it's one of the best MCU, MCU films that has um, been created, you know, from any of the phases. I think, you know, this story just packs in a lot of punch from a lot of different angles from, you know, the emotional side, the action, the comedy, um, the really interesting story. And, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but just the longevity of the planning. You know, we talk about how Kevin Feige plans long term with these phases and starts intricating, you know, integrating um, all these things from previous movies into, you know, the final Avengers movies and stuff like that. Um, James Gunn definitely does that with all the movies that he had created and the holiday special, which I'm going to talk about that as well, too. I don't know if, if you're going to. Um, but if you haven't seen the movie yet or if you have seen the movie um, and haven't seen the holiday special, I would encourage you to watch the holiday special because there's actually a lot from that. That's in this movie a lot yeah. more than I was expecting. Me too. Um, but yeah, it was just there was just a lot of heart to it. Um, the marking around it was really interesting because we all thought that somebody was going to die, right? And mm-hmm. James Gunn definitely wrote this movie to keep you on the edge of your seat to think that somebody might be dying in this next scene, and you know, lo and behold, didn't. But like every time, like you know, someone got like extremely injured. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is a death scene. Like I'm waiting for it. Right. And so, um, so yeah, so this whole thing just seemed like it was geniusly planned from James Gunn and that the acting from everybody involved, you know, from the main characters to the minor characters to the, um, different cameo appearances and the voice actors and stuff like that to everybody just involved. It just, it seemed like from everything I've heard, this was just a well done movie that everybody involved was just so happy with it. And it seemed to pan out so well. And it's just, it's, it was a great moment in storytelling, not just by the movie itself, but in terms of a culmination of an entire trilogy, plus the holiday special of this team that we are probably not going to see the team in the near future. We might see them. I, I still convinced that, you know, 20 years from now, they're going to do a we're going to bring all the original people back and to do like a special movie, you know, like, yeah. you know, Wastelanders or something like that. So I'm sure they'll probably do that in like 20 years or something. But um, for the foreseeable future, you know, this is the last of this team that we're going to see all together um, for a number of reasons. But I think this was just a great movie overall from all those aspects from just a film in the MCU for phase five um, to this being the ending trilogy movie for the series and just everything in, involved. I, so I, I agree wholeheartedly that this was just an incredible film. Um, what is something I, I want to kind of open up to you, Richard, like something from the movie that you really want to talk about. Cause again, like you and I've been talking about, like, you know, we're really excited about, you know, just talking this movie with each other and all that. Um, I know I have a list of things I love to talk about, but I figured I started with you first and, and ask you, what was a moment from this movie that you are desperately want to talk about right now? Um, well, one thing that it's kind of actually like an overall thing about the movie, but there's a couple specific moments. This was James Gunn's best use of an awesome mix in relation to like putting it in the movie that he's mm-hmm. done with any of the Guardians movies yet. Because 
like I'm a music guy is, is one of my, one of my biggest things. I graduated from music school and contemporary music oh, school cool. too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, music's been a big part of my life for a long, long time. And especially this kind of stuff, you know, seventies, eighties, and, you know, growing in the nineties and two thousands. And mm-hmm. I thought what James Gunn did with this soundtrack, when the soundtrack first came out, I wasn't sure how was, I was going to feel about it. Cause there were songs on there that I love, but then there was a lot of stuff that I wasn't sure, like how it was going to fit into the movie. And I thought, honestly, that there was going to be more new stuff like like 90s, 2000s and after uh, just right. because, just because of the zoom and everything that that Quill got at the end of, of volume two. But mm-hmm. the way he used it in this movie was so perfect. And that's one of the things that elevated it for me above the first two, like like the opening with like Radiohead creep playing when Rock is walking through nowhere. And then mm-hmm. and like. And that's an emotional as hell scene too. Like when he's talking to Quill, I did not think Peter was going to be wasted out of his mind, like over the whole Gamora thing um, right. when Rocket went to him. And, he, and I mean, that was some real, real stuff that like him and Rocket were talking about. And then um, one of my favorite things too was uh, the Earth, Wind, and Fire reasons scene um, <laughs> when they're when they're taking down um, the what's it called the Orgo Core. Um, yeah, base. yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> that scene in itself was great, but reasons by Earth, Wind, and Fire playing in the background just made it so, mm. so much better. And right. then um, the the last song I want to mention, obviously, is the one that Days Are Over by, you know, Florence and the Machines. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, th- th- that ending scene with everybody, you know, going their separate ways and nowhere celebrating after, after they beat the High Evolutionary and everybody survives. Um, that was just, it could not have been any better. And I mean, those are the three highlights for the songs for me, but the whole soundtrack was great. And especially how Gunn worked it into the plot itself and, you know, worked each song in with what was happening in the moment. And I, I, I just love that. Yeah. And, you know, it's looking back on the entire trilogy of any of the moments that Guardians of the Galaxy has showed up. James Gunn really leaned into it and made it work really well. There there have been movies that have used music um, very well to kind of help tell with the narration and everything. But mm-hmm. I feel like he really capitalized on the fact that um, Peter Quill in the Guardians of the Galaxy comics, which um, I haven't read a whole lot, but, you know, part of his personality is, you know, how much he loves music and, and listening to it and everything. And so James Gunn, like, really capitalizing that. Not, not just utilizing it, but think about how this plays into the narrative and the storytelling of it, you know, from a production, from a, you know, cinematography kind of view um, to or director kind of view, not cinematography necessarily, but director kind of view to mm-hmm. how it's going to tell the story um, as he's listening to music or as it's playing, you know, while they're having dialogue and stuff like that. He really utilized that. And I think that a lot of people agree that it enhances the story that much more in that I think it's kind of uh, dualistic where you really couldn't pull that off with another team or property in Marvel the same way the Guardians of the Galaxy did. And if you took the music part out from that storytelling, it wouldn't be the same level of movie and quality that we got from James Gunn and the cast as well, too. And so it really goes hand in hand because a lot of times music and soundtrack is more of a kind of like a little bit of an enhancement. But this was definitely critical to the storytelling aspect of it and that it enhances it, but it's also just kind of, you know, he 
interwove it into the whole narrative of what's happening in the story. And it really builds on to that. For example, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, when it ends with uh, Yondu's funeral and then playing father and son, because that whole movie was about, you know, a relationship with a father like that really hits home. You know, like you could play a lot of different kinds of songs and even songs about, you know, fatherhood and all that. But that just worked really well from the storytelling perspective, because it wasn't just playing the background, but they were playing it through the um, I think that that was a Zoom player and all that. So, yeah, I agree that all the music in this and all the movies, you know, was just a critical piece of storytelling and just elevated that much more. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what's funny is I didn't think anything would be able to rival um, Mr. Blue Sky from uh, the intro to Guardians 2 with David Groot dancing as they're fighting yes. the, the giant Apolisk thing. <laughs> this came close <laughs> for completely different reasons. I mean, the first one was just hilarious and fun and just pure joy. And this one, like, like, I don't know how much uh, how much you cry during movies or anything. I mean, firstly, I was I was in tears during the opening intro. Uh, when, yeah. all, when all the yeah. guardians were there. I mean, similarly to how they did with like Stan Lee after he passed away and Chadwick Boseman mm-hmm. after he passed away. Um, mm-hmm. But this one for a completely different reason, just because this is the last time we have this version of the guardians. And then when that song with rocket was, you know, playing and especially after seeing his backstory and all, which were, we, which we got to get into um, right. just dropped your heart, you know, right from the opening get go. Yeah, I agree. And, and since you brought this up about, you know, the opening with uh, volume two, I got to say that my personal relationship with Guardians of the Galaxy is I like many people. I've never heard of them until the movie came out. Same. Um, and so I was kind of curious. One, I was I was kind of excited because that was, you know, one of the only properties that came out from the MCU that I was not familiar with. So it's like I can go in with a fresh mind and not being not jaded, but just having some preconceived notion about how characters should be from the comics and everything. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and so going in with no expectations, um, but I gotta say the opening with Peter Quill dancing and then that scene where he's, you know, kind of leaning over, then you see the huge guardians of the galaxy logo show up on the screen. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it was about that, but when I saw that in theaters, it gave me chills. Like it was just so phenomenal how that looked and how that came on to the screen and into the story that I think at that point I was just like, this is already going to be a great movie just because of that. And it's like, it just never went downhill from there. And so it it just, the whole trilogy by itself, this is one of those things where I never thought that I would care about a group of people or a set of characters that were, you know, B list in the comics at that time that, it just became one of the most powerful and emotional, one of the more critical um, teams and set of characters in the MCU that a lot of people just end up enjoying a lot more than some of the other ones that we thought, you know, would be a lot more popular. But this one, because there's so much that people can see themselves in because it's a smaller team, but also all the relationship building and everything like that. Um, I just think that, you know, this speaks volumes about, James Gunn being really the only person that can pull that sort of thing off. And we've seen that in some of the other stuff that he's doing and some of the stuff that he's going to be doing in the DC studios role um, with, uh, I forget the name of the team, but it's like the other team that he's going to be authority. Yeah. The authority. Yes, exactly. Another one I've never heard of, I'm sure it's going to be, (laughs) you know, similar to what he's done with guardians of the galaxy and all that. So yeah, I agree. Um, this was definitely for me. I mean, this was a Rocket Raccoon story. Yes. That did it justice. I love Rocket Raccoon, but I think I think for me it's I always love that character, but in this movie 
I think I fell in love with the character even more because you got to see him from a holistic perspective. Like you didn't just see him from, you know, the first movie, he was very, you know, chaotic and funny. The second movie was he was kind of the antagonist in terms of like, you know, he was always, you know, starting crap and and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. This one was more of like just you you really empathize with him and it gave a, just a kind of a good everyone thought he was going to die in this movie right because oh, yeah. it was like you're getting his life story and everything so Top everyone was expecting list. that yeah exactly <laughs> so um but yeah this was just i just again i just never thought i would really enjoy a character as much as I did with Rocket Raccoon. Like he's never been one of the characters when I think about the MCU that I just love but like after this movie I, I look back and realize like how much I actually love this character and I don't didn't even realize it. You know, it's just it's like anytime he's on the screen, I'm like, yes, I, you know, I love it in that moment, but I don't always think about how much I love the character. And I think with this movie, it really just kind of elevates it that much more to be more in my you know consciousness of great characters in the MCU. And I think this movie really does it even more justice and gives it a little bit more of a oomph moving forward in that this is a character that can do a lot more with the MCU. If we, you know, if they decide to use him in, in other movies and other, mm-hmm. you know, team ups and stuff like that. But I think this one was just a really heartwarming story about this character that we all loved for a number of reasons. And then it just kind of brought it home with, you know, finding out his origin story, how, you know, painful was it? And, you know, the fact that Nebula was like, this is worse than what Thanos did to me. You're just like, Oh my God. Like that's yeah, just, when, you know, when she said that I, I remember the whole crowd was like, Oh my. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which I'm like, I, I'm glad. Well, one, I, I don't think he would have shown anything, but it's just like, I think, you know, kind of leaving it, not showing the specifics of like what actually happened to him and everything. Oh yeah. I think just plays it a lot more in that it is so, um, disturbing and gruesome. Yeah, that you can that you don't even want to see it, you know. And so yeah, like, it's just, like, yeah. that's what's that's like like what makes great horror movies. It's like it's not necessarily the stuff you see; it's the stuff that you don't see. And like and like this is a story that we've been wanting to hear about since you know some of his lines in the first Guardians, where like I didn't ask to get made, and you know right. I, I didn't ask to get torn apart, put back together like some little monster, um, right? And like stuff from that, and stuff from the Guardians two, and and like. I love this with a lot of characters in this movie. Nebula is another one, but the character mm-hmm. development from movie to movie really, really shined through with Rocket. Um, right. And, and like people loved him before. People were really into him over the years, like since he was first introduced. Mm-hmm. But I think this movie is going to make him like a true, true fan favorite for yes. a, num- a number of years to come. And, and I mean, obviously we've got to talk about, about the villain of this movie too. Because yes. <laughs> um, he was just a terrifying, horrible monster that had to be stopped. Um, yes. And like, I mean, just a, an incredible story with with the dichotomy between them and, you know, getting Rocket's backstory and everything was just mm-hmm. it was awesome. And I cannot say enough good things about it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the villain here is really interesting because there's a lot of the characteristics and motivation that is pretty similar to some of the other villains that we see as well. Um, I think the disdain for human life or I don't want to say disdain, but, you know, just um, complete disregard for yeah, it's disregard, not even yeah. just human life, but, you know, just life in general of like how mm-hmm. everything is disposable and all that. Um, yeah. I don't think, you know, we really have that with other villains per se. 
Um, I know that they have no problem eliminating life, you know, without any mm-hmm. hesitation whatsoever. But this one was just more of, you know, just like didn't even didn't even think that it was worthy of consideration is the thing. Yeah. Right. Like at least yeah. with the other villains, you know, it's like they had to kind of rationalize it a little bit as to why yeah. they're doing that. Like this character was just like, you know, don't even matter. Don't even care. You know, they, because yeah. This all goes to the higher power of what he's trying to achieve with his, you know, perfect uh, perfection of society. And clearly, you know, he's lost it. And, you know, by the end, when they tried to have a mutiny with him and all that. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, so the villains is very interesting in this. And I think it's really interesting to see the power play between him and Rocket when he created a being that end up being smarter than him. Like, you know, we saw with the scene where he figured out why the, um, why the experiments were going wrong. And like, he was still learning. He was still young. And the fact that the high revolutionary was really upset by that, that he figured it out before that rocket figured it out before Before he he did. did. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so obviously he was like, I, I did something right, but you could tell that his ego is really bruised really bad mm-hmm. in that moment as well. So, yeah, um, he, had, he had an ego, the living planet sized ego. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, uh, I'm actually pretty proud of myself for thinking about that one. Like just right now. <laughs> um, don't you love those moments? <laughs> right. You don't have them very often, but <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then just like, like another thing I just wanted to say too, like about the villain from, because Marvel's been so like up and down with, the villains over the years like marvel's proven they've done and they can do an incredible job with villains that like either you sympathize with or at least you understand where they're coming from like the thanos of the world and the killmongers of the world but i Mm -hmm. do love when marvel you know brings a villain that you're just like you instantly want him not only dead but like suffering like yes they did that They did that to an extent with like Green Goblin when he came back for for No Way Home. And I loved what they did. I mean, I mean, Willem Dafoe brought that back to an incredible level. And yes, and I kind of see the high evolutionary as kind of one of those villains that like is just completely irredeemable right from the start. And Mm -hmm. there's nothing that changes that. I mean, and his performance, Chakwudi Awuji, I mean, he gave a hell of a performance in this movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, we knew he was going to after what he did in Peacemaker. But he like automatically rose to one of the top MCU villains that we've ever had. Agreed. Yeah, he's uh, he's just done a phenomenal job in both of those movies. Uh, well, I'm sorry, Peacemaker is a show. So in that right. show, in this movie, both I don't know if I've, Yes, exactly. And I don't know if I've seen him in anything prior to Peacemaker. So I'm sure he's a phenomenal actor. Um, you know, outside of these two universes, but inside mm-hmm. the, these universes, he's just done a great job, a great performance. And I think that, um, you know, Gardens of the Galaxy just always have really interesting villains that they play with. And I think this is probably, you know, one of the higher level of villains just in terms of storytelling, but performance. And then, you know, if you think about it, it can affect the long term of MCU for quite some time as well, too, because you know that at some point, like one, we don't know if he's actually dead. Right. Like right. they left him for dead. But, you know, we know in the comics, no one's actually really dead. And in the so, MCU, nobody's ever really dead either. So <laughs> exactly. Yes. And so we so there's every possibility that he might come back as a villain, um, you know, even worse than in this movie. And so I yeah. think there's a lot of opportunities for them to either bring this character back or to continue on what was happening, what was exploring 
um, in this story with all the experiments that he was doing, because I know, especially with them going for a more galactic um, cosmic approach with the MCU for these next couple of phases, I can see this kind of being another way of them exploring some of those cosmic phases of, you know, the questions about ethics and morality, you know, beyond what we see um, on earth, but, you know, kind of looking at how this would play through, you know, different kinds of species and different galaxies that have different kinds of cultures and what those kinds of things mean as well too. So, so there's a lot of opportunities for storytelling for, you know, philosophical questions and, and just the fact that they could also bring him back as a, you know, even worse villain than before. So, um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the fight scenes in this movie, because I got to say the fight scenes were incredible. I love a lot of the fight scenes in the MCU. Shang-Chi is probably my favorite movie that has some phenomenal fight scenes, um, not just because of the stunt choreography and the fighting choreography, but what they were able to do with that kind of style to integrate it into a lot of poetic layers of that movie. Yeah, this one didn't have that sort of, you know, it didn't have that sort of same parallel. But I've I was very impressed with some of the uh, fight sequences, most notably one. I love the fact that someone had the idea of having Groot hide a bunch of guns inside himself and then have, you know, I think 12 arms with the guns is kind of shooting around um, inside the spaceship of uh, the high evolutionary. So I thought that was just a genius fun scene that they did with that. Um but the one shot uh, scene that they had with the entire team in that yeah. corridor was phenomenal in a lot of different ways. One, like I said, I think if I recall correctly, I think it was almost all one shot, yeah. which th- this is not on the same level of Daredevil because Daredevil was truly one shot in that. They had to re- they had to film everything once out with all the stunts. So there was like a lot. And, you know, that whole seven minutes, they had to get all the choreography down with this one. It was it looked like one shot. They probably filmed it a lot of different you know places and a lot of different, you know, um, film kind of stitched together because a lot of the visual effects and stuff like that. So they probably didn't mm-hmm. record it all in one shot, but it's definitely a one shot scene. Um, but the fighting choreography was just, you know, fantastic. It was just so eye catching. Um James Gunn finds a way to get the most grotesque ways of people getting hurt without it during permanent damage. I'm thinking of Nebula in this one, right? Where right, yeah. she gets her like neck pretty much snapped, but she's still fighting because she could just kind of reattach her neck because yeah, of sure. how she's made. Uh, but I just remember that whole fight scene was just a phenomenal way of being able to just capture action in a very different uh, way that we've seen before in a one shot storytelling, but mm-hmm. also just kind of pushes the boundaries on a lot of different things as well. And so it's, it's definitely one of my favorite fight scenes now because of that, because I just remember watching and I think I didn't even really move or anything because it was, I was just so captivated by that scene. I didn't know what your thoughts were for that scene. If, if you had the same kind of feeling or if I'm like looking way into it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm very much into that scene. I, I mean, doing a one shot in, you know, pretty much anything is, is a tall order, whether it's, you know, shooting it like the way Daredevil did. I remember they did a really good scene like that in agents of shield uh, season two also with, um with mm. I think sky before she became Daisy. And, okay. um and then in this one was just, insane the way they did it especially because like you said 
there were so many special effects that were, I mean, Nebula getting her neck broken and put back together, uh, mm-hmm. Groot doing all of his arm stuff, Rocket jumping around. And it's funny, too, because mm-hmm. you saw a lot of that in the previews. And of course, it all looked like it was in the same place. But right. you had no idea that it was going to be a giant one shot like that. And um, no, James Gunn did a great job with that. That's probably at least one of the top two or three Guardians fight scenes that we've seen in, I'd say, any of their solo movies or even Infinity War or Endgame, stuff like that. I mean, it was great. Oh, yeah. And, and I think, you know, um, outside of the team up movie. So mm-hmm. if we look at, you know, just the individual movies in the MCU, this is also one of the top three fight scenes in the entire MCU so far, I, yeah. you know, for a number of reasons. Again, because there's so many layers that went into this. I, it's not going to supersede Shang-Chi for me. I don't know if anything will just because of yeah, uh, sure. the way they did that. But this is a really, really, really close second because of the way that they incorporated so much of humor, the fighting styles, the, um, you know, the stunts that they did was just phenomenal and so um you know jaw dropping with some of the things that they were doing and that they had all these different kinds of styles so you know each character has their own fighting style you know like rocket and peter always doing the the guns because that's their thing right Groot doing his you know Groot fighting style whatever they call it. i don't know if it's like Groot jitsu or whatever um <laughs> i would, I would know, love Dr- to find out what that is <laughs> <laughs> yeah i hope it's called Groot juice Groot jitsu because if That'd it is be i'll be like yes i nailed it you know just out of out on the top of my head and right. if they don't have a name for it that's what they should call it um <laughs> but they all have these different fighting styles and they just really utilize that to not only focus in on those things, but some of the transitions and how they um, complemented each other while they're fighting as well, too. It's just, again, just in terms of action scene and the stunt choreography and what they're able to achieve in that fight scene beyond just, you know, fighting and everything. I think it was just a phenomenal uh, scene that they were able to shoot. Um, Speaking of grotesque things that James Gunn did, did you notice that in the movie he his wife was in it? Yes, yes. And, and she, so she was the one. I forget what her character's name is, but she was the one that has a, like the little floating ball that's always communicating to people in the yeah. Orgo core or whatever they call it. Um, and, and she gets shot in the leg. I, I feel like James Gunn just ha- like has a lot of fun of just trying to be sadistic as possible. I'm like, who who's like, hey. I'm married to you, but I'm going to make sure that you get shot in the leg and get hurt and, and maimed and all that. Right. Yeah. It's- and like, and not even just someone like, like Nathan Fillion was in that scene and he's yeah. with James Gunn a lot. Um, yeah. Danielle Melchior from, uh, from the suicide squad was, uh, mm-hmm. was like, I think her name was, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, and I know that some people are going to say like, Oh, Gunn puts all his buddies in a movie. So is every director in the history of film. You know, I was about to say, yeah, like that's not a new thing. It's exactly. I mean, I'll I'll be honest, like I you know, I try not to dive into some of this stuff real quick, but it's like that's that's really just a spillover from everything that's happened with the Snyder bros and all that. And, oh, and yeah, in terms sure. of they're just looking for stuff, you know, and like Absolutely. I get I get some of the criticism, but like this one is just like, yeah, now you're just, you know, reaching for straws and, and this is like nothing new in Hollywood. Yeah, you know, sure. so like, you know, try try to go for something else. But this is not like I think it pretty much ended the same day it started. So, yeah, as people pointed out, like how many directors have done this? This is not a new thing in Hollywood. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah but, but I get that. But yeah, that that whole scene was great. And like like when she first came up, like I felt like it was her. But then when she came up it, again and, and um, that was yeah. great. 
it was great seeing her in there and you know all the uh all the gun buddies we got you know like linda cardellini coming back as uh lila the otter got a got a fun little scooby-doo reunion there that was that was pretty fun <laughs> um yeah but but no and i mean it was great seeing all those different characters all those actors there and he did a great job with it yeah well and i i'm glad that nathan fillion had a lot of time in this movie because he only yeah. showed up in uh suicide squad that james gunn did for like I think five minutes. Yeah. And I was really bummed out because I love Nathan Fillion. I've, I've absolutely love a lot of the stuff that he's been in. And I think that this was just a really fun one for him to do that. He doesn't have to be like a huge character by any means, but I think this one, he had enough screen time that I really loved it. And, and he was actually in guardians of the galaxy one. He was the yes, voice was. of one of the inmates in there. So I, I yeah. love the fact that he came back, um, you know, get to be himself a little bit more. Yeah. He was the one that Groot uh, put his, put his hand up his <laughs> nose right when they yeah. got to the kill. And that was, that was great. I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I love that one. Well, and, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that, of some, the actors that has been in the MCU are going to come back as voices of the other characters because I think Lila was um, Linda Cardellini. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who, who was um, Laura I forget Barton, her name. Yeah. Laura yeah, Barton. Yeah. Laura Barton. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> so I was trying to remember. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Laura Barton. So yeah. and Tara Strong was um, mainframe and she's also done Miss Minute. So that was pretty yes. cool to see. Yes. And I'm sure she'll probably do another. I would love to see her on screen sometime. Too, as a, that'd be fun. Yeah, as a character as well, but I'm sure they'll probably bring her back for like some other voices as well, because he's, you know, she's a phenomenal voice actress. And so yeah. she'll be able to, you know, do a bunch of different voices they want her to. And I think um, I think if I recall, Judy Greer from Ant-Man was, I think, War Pig, if I'm getting the name right. Like, I think so. Yes. Like yes. This movie, <laughs> this movie probably had more former or current MCU stars doing other roles than probably any other movie in MCU history. And, and it was great. Like it was really fun. There were all like minor roles and stuff and it was a good time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I agree. Um, let me talk a little bit about how many connections there were in this movie with the holiday special that really surprised me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so there's the obvious one. So if you did not watch a holiday special, you probably were thrown off by the fact that they said that Mantis and Peter were siblings mm-hmm. because that was never established until holiday special. And so if that was news to you, it's probably because you didn't watch holiday special or you may have forgotten it about it um, in the holiday special as well, too. But that that came up again. Mm-hmm. Um, the reference to Kevin Bacon being kidnapped was in the newspaper in that end credit scene, which I yep. absolutely love that they, you know, brought that in and, you know, kept it going. Oh my gosh. And, and that was genius how they did that yeah. um, for the holiday special. I absolutely love that, in that whole, you know, episode that they did because they just had a lot of fun with the stuff that they established early on and then got to do these things like bring in Kevin Bacon to be part of the MCU now as himself. Yeah. Um, the other things that I don't know if people, you know, noticed, but and I would have not have noticed this if I hadn't just watched Holiday Special like the night before I went to see the movie. OK, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I noticed is that in the holiday special, I think it was towards the end. All the people are dancing and somebody asked Drax, like, you know, how come you're not dancing? And Drax is like, you know, dancing's for the week. You know, I'm not weak, blah, blah, blah. Kind of gave his little Drax spiel about, you know, yeah. how inferior it is and everything. But at the end of this movie, when Mantis is leaving and everyone's kind of parting ways and everybody on Nowhere is dancing, Drax starts dancing, mm-hmm. right? And I absolutely love that because Drax has always been kind of this, you know, strong 
dominant, uh, masculine figure that is everything that you think about in terms of a you know traditional masculine figure of like a war a male warrior and stuff like that mm-hmm. and for him to kind of have a 180 between what he said in the holiday special to one crying at the end because you know he it, it was always funny with his relationship with mantis because he always talks about like how she's ugly and 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 all this stuff and like really you know insults her a lot yeah, and then by the end of this movie, you know they have a great relationship, a great friendship. He is so sad that she's leaving, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that he's you know kind of embraced dancing, which he saw was inferior, I thought was really a really great way of kind of showing that character development. I don't know if I would have noticed that if I had not just watched the holiday special the night before because I would have missed that. And I think there's a lot of those little things that are in this movie that probably points to something that was referred to in some of the previous movies as well, yeah. too. And I you know, just the, for that reason, I, I remember the Drax dancing thing was also a big thing at the beginning of guardians too. When, um, when he was talking to Peter about his whole relationship with Gamora and everything. And he's like, I am a dancer. Gamora is not. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, you just need to find someone who's pathetic. Like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, um, and then I remember I mentioned that the dance off to save the universe and infinity war when he was with uh, Tony and Peter and Dr. Strange and everything too. So yeah. <laughs> that's, that's definitely been a running thing for a long time. And, I, and I'm glad they addressed it. I mean, and that was great to see, you know, like, like I was saying earlier, the character development for everybody in this movie, like the way they mm-hmm. changed and evolve and everything, seeing Drax dance was a, uh, was a pretty cool thing. Oh yeah, definitely. I agree. So yeah, there's, so there's a lot, from the holiday special is in there. Um, and, and this one is and this one thing that I notice. I'll say that this might be a little bit premature because I can't remember this happening in any other movies or appearances that this character has made. Mm-hmm. But at the end of this movie, I think we saw Nebula smile for the first time. You know what? I, I couldn't imagine that if it's not the first time, probably one of the first, because you really right. don't see her smile you know, ever. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and she has shown a lot more emotion in this movie as well, too. So like all the yeah. way through in game, you know, she was still pretty cold. Like she, she still got emotionally passionate when it came to her sister, when she had that, you know, fight in that argument with her sister, because she was like, you know, I, all I wanted was a sister in the second movie and everything. So she was definitely, you know, passionate in that regard, but we never really saw her, get emotional in any of the movies up until this one. And this one, we saw her, you know, cry when she heard mm-hmm. rocket was alive. Yeah. Um, and then we see her smile and I, it was just like, I, when I saw her smile, like, I think the reason why I noticed it is because I was like, wait, this is kind of odd. Like when she did that. And then I realized it's like, Oh, it's because like, I don't think I've ever seen her smile in any of the other movies. And so I think it's just really nice to kind of see her, finally feel like she is out of that torturous state that she's always been in from growing up with Gamora as her sister and Thanos as her father and kind of having that, you know, competitive didactic um, relationship with her sister and being tortured by Thanos to now, you know, this is a family that she's really embraced and she's, you know, finally in a state of happiness instead of like a state of necessity, you know? And so I absolutely love that. I don't know if I'm looking into this again and that it's like, maybe not, maybe James Gunn's like, yeah, that's been the whole point, but at least that's what I took away from that is, is when that happens, like that's actually a really cool detail to put in that it, it really just does volumes in terms of what we see with the character and what it means now for her to finally be happy with this family that she found. 
Yeah, totally. And like Nebula was one of the arcs in this movie that I love more than almost anybody else, because especially the way she's grown since the first Guardians. Like I watched the first two Guardians um, over the few days leading up to this one and seeing her change and grow and like be more willing to, you know, be emotional and love people and have people in her life. I mean, especially mm-hmm. with her and Rocket, because you saw how their bond grew during um, during Endgame and everything with them being the only two Guardians that were alive during the uh, during the five years between Thanos and snap, Thanos snap and the Hulk snap and everything. Um, right. But no, James Gunn and, and everybody on this movie did such a good job. It's such an incredible job, really, with like with that kind of character development and evolution. Um, and Nebula, especially Nebula has turned into one of, I think, everybody's favorites. I mean, especially for me. Um, and Karen Gillan's done such a good job with the role over the years. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's a role that's had to change and evolve with almost every movie. I mean, like, like she's always been yeah. kind of that, like she has, she's got the anger, she's got the stoicism and everything, but, mm-hmm. but she added new layers and everything over these last couple of appearances, like at Thor love and thunder and this and the holiday special. It's been really great to see. Oh yeah. I agree completely. It's, and, and all of them have that. Like, you know, even, you know, talking about Gamora, how, we have a new Gamora and this is a completely different character than what we've seen in all the previous movies, right? Because this is one that came from the past and now is stuck in this future and doesn't have the same relationship or, uh, you know, feelings as, you know, she's just not the same person that we've saw from guardians one all the way through. But I feel like Zoe Saldana did a great job of making Gamora, you know, feel so much different than the previous ones. And, the fact that we actually get to see that happen again of her seeing this family and kind of falling in love with this family again was really cool of, of a parallel of like, again, a nice way to kind of wrap things up of like a cyclical thing that mm-hmm. happens with the guardians of the galaxy and kind of seeing it through Gamora, I thought was a really cool way of telling that story. Definitely. No. And, and, and that was great. Zoe Saldana did an incredible job too of, you know, kind of reinventing the role. And I know she's not coming back um, really to play the role probably after this movie. And, she got to right. see, she got to have a lot of fun with it being this kind of new but old Gamora at the same time and like like mm-hmm. her stuff with Peter and Nebula that one scene that everybody saw in the previews um, with those three just turned out great and like yeah and all their interactions were were really really fun to watch oh yeah yeah I agree well um, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we kind of give our final thoughts and and you know rating for the movie and all that. I, I think we we got it just about covered. I mean, like I, I'll <laughs> I'll say it till the till the till the sun comes up that this movie was was damn near perfect, and I love mm-hmm. it, and I cannot wait to see it again. I'm gonna be watching this one a lot. Yeah, I I agree. I I'm I'm go- I'm definitely gonna see it again with uh, with my family. Um, I'm in the same boat. I don't think I can give this movie any lower than a nine, but I would give it like a nine point five or ten out of ten just because. This was just such a great movie, great story, great. Everything about it was great. Like you, you talk about the costume. Look, excuse me. I forgot the Oreo Co costume, how grotesque oh, yeah. that was, you know, Amazing. Uh, like just, yeah, just so like, it's like, you know, wearing a skin on top of your skin. It was just, you know, gave you yeah. that so many <laughs> feelings. Right. So yeah. the, the costume design, just everything about this movie, I thought was just so well done. It's hard for me to really feel comfortable with giving it a anything less than nine out of 10. I always feel like I had to do, you know, there's always something that something could approve on and blah, blah, blah. But just like, like you, like I just can't find it. Maybe after I watched the movie, like a, a fifth time that maybe I'm like, Oh, there's that one thing that 
yeah. I think if they if this was a different color or something like that, right? <laughs> totally. Um, um, yeah, but it's just yeah, it's just a great. I'm I'm with you. It's just a great movie, and and I think it's it's going to be hard to top this one in so many levels. Yeah, no, this one. I think for me, it's a 10 out of 10. Honestly, there aren't really, there aren't many MCU movies that I give a 10 out of 10. Like mm-hmm. the other ones I mentioned, no way home infinity war, you know, maybe end game, like the civil wars, winter soldier, stuff like that. Guardians three is in that discussion, even though I did not think it was going, I, like I said, I knew it was going to be good. I didn't right. know it was going to be this good. Um, yes. It's going to be, like you said, really hard to top this one going forward. Um, even as the multiverse saga expands and uh, James Gunn went out with a bang and I can't wait to see what he does at DC. I agree. Yeah. And, and it's a, it's a bummer because we all know that how Oscars and how critics feel about yeah. these kinds of films. And I feel like this is one of a handful of films, you know, Black Panther Wakanda Forever won a lot of awards and rightfully so. I think a lot of movies could have won a lot of different awards, but I feel like this movie, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, could really be a great contender in the Oscars, but I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't get a lot of nominations from a lot of different things. Um, it should be. But, it should be an Oscar contender, but it might not. I be. agree. Yeah, because from a story again, from a story, when you look at it from a story perspective, it's a fantastic story. Mm-hmm. It just happens to be a group of superheroes. And I think that's what, you know, we all know that's kind of what rubs people, you know, the wrong way when yeah. you're talking about Oscars and critics and all that. So for sure. Um, well, that is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Before we get into the next segment of the episode, I do want to remind people that the Caption Life show is part of Comic Watch, which is a grassroots volunteer organization that brings a lot of news and reviews on comics, TV shows, films, anime. You name it, we probably cover it. And we're always looking for reviewers. So if you're interested in joining the team, I do have a link in the show notes below that you can go and click on the application and fill it out. Let us know that you're interested and then somebody will get back with you within a week or so we'll let you know um, and talk to you about you know joining the team as a reviewer so if you're interested in, in reviewing any of those things I mentioned definitely you know check out the application um, our episode next week we're going to be celebrating our 100th episode of the Caption Live show and we're going to have former co-host Kevin Stoliker to celebrate and this is a first we're going to do this live and so we're um, going to record this Friday May 12th so this Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern time, and we're going to be live on YouTube. So if you want to watch us live and kind of, you know, flub it up even more <laughs> as we do this live. Um, but Kevin's going to be back on the show. He was, a, you know, the co-host for a number of years and then had to, you know, step away. But he still comes back on the show from time to time. So he's going to help me celebrate uh, this week. So if you are interested in joining and watching the uh, 100th episode, uh, you know, check out our website and our social media. We have all the information there. You can go to our YouTube channel and and find the link there. We also are doing a 100th episode giveaway. So if you're interested in that, check out our website and there is a page that you can click on. that will give you all the information about what's in the giveaway and how you can enter. So with that being said, let's go to our next segment of the episode. And this is where we talk about the comics that we're currently reading this week. Um, so before Rich and I talk about the comics we're reading, I like to start off with what people have shared with me, what they're reading this week. And so uh, from comic watch, we have our editor in chief, Matt Meyer say that he is currently reading green arrow by Mike Grell. He said that's dated in some regards, but solid street level superheroing that feels less super and more regular dude trying to do the right thing. 
which in my mind sounds a lot like Hawkeye, like the Matt Fraction, David, uh, David Aha, you know, Hollingsworth Hawkeye type of thing with the street level archer. Um, so, but that that's really good to know. I'm always looking for, you know, new stories to read. And this one sounds right up my alley. Um, and then we have two from our Illuminacasters Discord channel. Joe Loves Comics said that yesterday I read Radiant Black number 24 and it was absolutely incredible. One of the most visually spectacular comics I've ever read. Excited for more and to read the rest of my polls from this week. And Kim from the ODPH podcast also said Radiant Black. He said that he got the 10 out of 10 grade from him last week. So good. He's catching up on the Phantom Road and Black Cloak from Image. Embracing for the game changer of Amazing Spider-Man 25 this week. Um, I'm not surprised by Radiant Black. I keep hearing what great series it is. So I, I know I got to check it out sometime. I, I was talking to you, Richard, and everybody you know, who listens to the show knows that I just got stacks and stacks of comics I'm trying to get through. So I'm not trying to add more to yeah. my <laughs> unread pile. Um, but yeah. this is definitely one that once I get caught up, I want to go back and read this because I've heard nothing but great things. And the fact that I got two reviews this week of people saying that this is an absolutely incredible issue um, says volumes of that. So thank you all for sending in what you're currently reading. Um, Richard, I know you and I had talked about, you are actually not currently reading any comics right now. Um, from the ones I just mentioned, the, uh, you know, radiant black um, green era, or if there's a comic that you've heard of that's out there right now, is there any of the, of those that kind of interest you or that you think that you might want to try to read at some point in the future? Well, that amazing Spider-Man one definitely, definitely sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, I'm, I'm into all things Spider-Man really. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's so funny with me. Like I was talking to you about it before we started recording. I'm not much of a comic reader. Like I really haven't read a lot of comic books in my life and I know I need to do that. Like, like there's mm-hmm. a few on my list as much Spider-Man content as I can get. I, I, one of my personal favorite, like comic char- characters, Deadpool. I'm literally like sitting on a Deadpool. Oh, chair that's right awesome. Now. Yeah. That's a great chair. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love, love this. that. Like, there's literally like, like four other Deadpools on this thing that you can find. <laughs> it, it's just great. So I want to get into some yeah. Deadpool comics. Um, but yeah, no, like, like at some point, I, I know I need to get to it, but mm-hmm. I'm going to start reading some comics and it's going to be great. And I'm looking forward to it. Uh, speaking of Deadpool, there is a trade paperback I have. There's a couple of trade paperbacks of Deadpool that I have that I need to read. I've been wanting to read. <laughs> One of them is Deadpool versus Hawkeye. And the reason why I got it is one, I love Deadpool and I love Hawkeye. But the cover was just so amazingly hysterical because it's one of those like classic, you know, two villains kind of going at each other at, at an angle, um, you know, so not like, you know, straight from left to right, but at an angle from like the top right to the bottom left right. at each other. Almost like the, you know, God touching Adam scene yeah. um, from the um, from the I forget the exact title of that painting, but, you know, from Michelangelo um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the uh, Vatican. But. Yeah, What's funny one is just referenced in Guardians Three with yes. with, with, <laughs> yes, Adam, with Adam and uh, and <laughs> yes. I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what it was because you're yeah. just like but maybe that's like the one criticism I have. Like who who goes out and just like touches the finger and then <laughs> brings them in, right? But it was a great reference. I love that. It was great. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, I totally agree. Yeah, you know, like yeah. again, I had to find something, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> But the thing about this cover that I absolutely love is that Hawkeye has his bow and arrow shooting directly at Deadpool. Deadpool also has a bow and arrow, but it's a Nerf bow and arrow. And you see a bunch of Nerf arrows. Yeah. And so just the cover alone, I'm like, I have to read this. I have to get it. I have to buy it. I have to read it. I haven't read it yet. But I just I I love how comical Deadpool is. And and speaking of, you know, superhero movies, 
Deadpool is the series of Deadpool one and two has been my favorite. I think it's it's a one of those top superhero well done movies as well too. It, I know that Guardians of the Galaxy you know does a phenomenal job with the music, but Deadpool you know gets pretty close to it. It's not it's as integrated yeah. with the narration, but it definitely elevates the story and hits you in the feels with the songs uh, choices that they made with it as well. So yeah, I'm definitely excited for Deadpool three to come out. I know everybody was losing their minds when they said that Hugh Jackman is coming back as Wolverine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ah. if there's any, I would recommend just that alone for the cover. You should check that out. <laughs> yeah. I've said it so many times. Deadpool three is, I think my most anticipated MCU movie coming out. Like even maybe about oh, yeah. a Kang dynasty and secret war. Like, I mean, I mean, you oh, see yeah. how much of a Deadpool <laughs> fan I am and, and getting Hugh Jackman back and getting the entire cast back. I cannot wait for that movie. I, I hope it's as good as we're expecting it to be. Oh, I, I agree. Well, and all the people that they're bringing back from Deadpool all the way from, um, you know, the, oh gosh, um, I'm I'm blanking her name, Vanessa. Um, yeah, the actress uh, plays Baccarin. Thank you. Yes, um, how she's coming back all the way through Peter from from Deadpool two. Amazing! I'm so yes. happy he's coming back <laughs> and blind out. <laughs> yes, like it just seems like they're bringing back almost everybody from from you know the core people from Deadpool. It just so I know everybody's just going to be really excited about that, and I think everybody's it. it I wouldn't be surprised if it sold out that opening night. Cause I think everybody is just, oh, I wouldn't be shocked at all. No. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's, it's yeah. I, I, I'm going to have to stop because I'll just go down that rabbit hole and there's, oh, this will too. be a longer <laughs> episode for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, so the comics I'm reading this week. So there's two that I'm reading for comic watch, uh, to do reviews on this week. And I haven't had a chance to read them yet, but one of them is uh, Batman incorporated issue number eight. And I know that this is where we're going to get the introduction of Joker incorporated. Um, because I actually had the creators, Ed Brisson and John Timms on the show. And they were talking about this, um, on the episode. And so this is going to be the issue where we see Joker incorporated, which is kind of like the, you know, the opposite team of Batman Corp. So if you don't know much about this story, it's pretty much a Batman story without Batman in it. Um, so if you want to have a Batman story, but with characters that you probably never read about before or new to you, this is a fantastic story. It's a team up. Uh, it's a team up comic book story. Um, but, you know, it's very familiar because it has a lot of Batman themes and Batman parallels to it. But they're all brand new characters that you get to learn about and get to follow along. Um, so I absolutely love that. And then the other book I'm reviewing for Comic Watch is Stoneheart. Number three from Image Comics It is written and illustrated by. Uh, Emma Cooper and I love the first two issues. It's it's very much a fantasy, kind of like a Dungeons and Dragons story. Um, and I think she's done a fantastic job of telling the story with the use of uh, her dialogue to the illustration and the colors and everything. She's been doing a, a great job with that. So I'm looking forward to reviewing that. Um, the four comics I'm pulling, I'm technically pulling fifth, but I'm going to explain why I'm saying I'm really pulling four. Um, the four I'm pulling this week that's coming out is Daredevil number 11 because I'm a huge Daredevil fan, so you know I'm reading that. Rogan Gambit number three, which has been a fantastic story. I've, I've always been kind of a casual fan of Rogan Gambit, but this one is being written by Stephanie Phillips and it's it's a fun story. It's really, you know, it's everything that if you want just kind of like a exciting story, Rogan Gambit is definitely one of those. Um, I'm also reading Spider-Gwen Shadow Clones, which is very interesting 
thing. I will say that I haven't been a huge fan of the art. I feel like some of the art has not really landed for me, but the story was really interesting. And so I'm still pulling that. Um, and then I'm also pulling Spider-Man um, 2099 Dark Genesis. So this is an interesting series because most series, you get a new issue every month. This one is a five issue series, but it's a new issue every week. So it's just it's um, they're doing it a little bit differently. I'm not sure why. Um, I read the first issue last week. It was a, it, it was interesting. It, it wasn't bad. It wasn't great either. I, I think it's just kind of a setting up things. I'm definitely in it for Daredevil 2099 because he's going to be showing up next issue. So that's one of the reasons why I pulled it. Um, and then the last issue that I'm technically pulling, but I'm not reading is the Amazing Spider-Man issue number 25. But I'm getting the Disney variant. Uh, I don't know if you've been seeing this, Richard, or not. If, if you haven't, yeah. I'll, I'll send you pictures. Yeah, but they've been doing like, you know, Disney characters as different Marvel characters. So, so this one is like... I the, love when they do stuff like that. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. And, and and I'll be honest, like I'm not reading the story. I'm just collecting the covers because I, <laughs> I love the covers so much. I might frame them or something like that. And I know my son has been enjoying them as well. So I'm pulling it just to get the cover. I'm not reading the story at all whatsoever. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so those are the comics we're reading. Um, and that wraps up this episode. Richard, thank you very much for coming on the show, talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. You are always, you have some great insights to all the movies that you review. And, you know, this is, you know, nothing short of that. You had some great insights. I had a great time talking to you about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Before I let you go, where can the listeners find you and your work online? Well, thank you so much, Sean. I mean, I, I had an absolute blast. I, I already can't wait to see this movie again. Um, <laughs> you can find me online. I'm mostly on Twitter at, at Richard Nebens, N-E-B-E-N-S. Um, you can find me sharing all of my stuff there from the direct. And um, I'm also on Instagram, TikTok. I don't, I'm not really active much on there, but I'm going to try to be here soon. Um, same mm-hmm. names at Richard Nebens. And um, I write for the direct basically every day. Um, you can find my stuff there. Uh, just a few months, couple of years, you know, DC, Marvel, Star Wars, and again, get my hands on really. And um, I can't wait for all the movies that are going to come out in the next few weeks. I um, mean, obviously we've got the flash next month and, you know, July's packed with, you know, regular, you know, normal movies, you know, like Barbie mission impossible, um, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And um, I'll be covering all of it. Um, can't wait for it. Yeah. And we got Spider-Man across the uh, Spider-Verse coming out in oh, June. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably and the TV- best movie of the summer. <laughs> yes. I know everybody, everybody's like, for me, it's that. And surprisingly enough, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is coming out in August. Um, and I say surprisingly, yeah, because if you know me, you know that I am not a Seth Rogen fan. But the trailer convinced me that it's it's going to be a great movie. So I I am I'm not yeah. a, conv- a convert of all Seth Rogen stuff, but I am definitely a convert of this, and I think he's going to do a great job with that. So yeah, so a lot of great movies. Um, if you're interested in following Richard and his work, I'll make sure to put those links in the show notes below. Um, again, thank you very much for coming on. And if there's ever another movie you want to come on and and talk about and uh, and and do the show again, you're more than happy to come back. We will definitely be in touch. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Thank you so much. It's been a blast. And that wraps up another episode of The Caps of Life. I hope you enjoyed listening, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button. You can follow us on social media at Caps of Life. And if you like what we're doing, give us a shout-out by tagging us in your post or send us a message. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, visit thecapsandlife.com. 